Recovery Elevator, episode 255. It was just a big, a big life change for me. Home alone, drinking by myself, blacking out. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Carrie. She's 50 years old from Redding, California, and she took her last drink on November 6th, 2018. In her interview, she talks about how she found herself wondering how she was going to make it. But here she is over a year from her last drink, and she's doing a fantastic job. It's a great interview. You all are going to love it. Happy New Year's, everyone. I've got a feeling that 2020 is going to be a fantastic year. What are your goals? What would you like to accomplish? Now, this is my sixth year doing the Recovery Elevator podcast, and the goals I have written down on my whiteboard are exciting. I've never been more pumped about what lies ahead for Recovery Elevator, and I want you to be part of it. Our latest accountability group, Cafe RE Up, launched seven days ago, and many members are already on day seven. If you're thinking about taking the plunge into a way better life, then here's your chance. All signups for the month of January will be placed in Cafe RE Up. I bring in some sobriety rock stars from the other groups to help get the momentum started, and then we all, collectively, depart from the alcohol together. This group is off to a great start, and I hope to see you there. Registration opens tomorrow, January 8th, for the Recovery Elevator Live event, Dancing with the Mind which takes place in Denver, Colorado at the Hilton Garden Inn, Thursday, June 11th to Saturday, June 13th. You'll learn how to create your future alcohol-free self that no longer drinks alcohol and draw it to you like a magnet in the present moment. And of course, you'll build lifelong connections with others who no longer want to drink alcohol. This event is open to spouses or significant others, and there will be specific breakout sessions for them as well. Go to recoveryelevator.com to register and for more information. And before we get started, let's hear from today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know anxiety for me personally is something that I've had to keep an eye on, especially when I was drinking. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. You can get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental help with the help of an experienced professional. Right now, there's a special offer for the Recovery Elevator podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. Okay, let's get started. While studying Spanish in Oaxaca, Mexico, I'm staying with a host family, and in my case, I'm staying with a 38-year-old guy named Rodolfo. He's awesome. I totally lucked out. Rodolfo was a doctor in Mexico City. He found himself super stressed out, only worried about more money, cars, a bigger house, and presenting himself to society as someone who had made it. But as he continued down this path, he found himself struggling with anxiety, depression, and was drinking more and more. He recognized the insanity of this, but wasn't sure how to stop. He was in his mid-30s and had worked his entire life to become a doctor, to have the wealth and external approval that comes alongside with this title. So Rodolfo began to pray, to ask for help. He ended up moving to Oaxaca, a town of about 300,000 people, instead of Mexico City, which is one of the most populated, fast-paced cities in the world. Yet the stress, anxiety, depression, and drinking came with them. And his drinking was ramping up. So he started asking the universe for even more help. He became even clearer with his intention to live a calmer, more relaxed way of life. And then it happened. While walking home from work one night, he was hit by a driver who was drunk. He spent several months in the hospital, had multiple surgeries, and had ample time to be. During this experience, he had no choice but to relinquish his old life and the stress, anxiety, and depression that accompanied it. 
He made another important decision, which was to forgive the drunk driver who hit him. Several months after the accident, he recognized how this accident was the best thing that could have ever happened to him or for him, shall we say. But there was one more thing that was nagging him and that he was still drinking too much. After opening up to a friend, El Quemo Los Barcos, that's to say he burned the ships in Spanish, this friend sent a TEDx talk titled, I was duped by alcohol to Rodolfo. Shortly after that, Rodolfo picked up a guy at the Oaxacan airport who recently gave a TEDx talk titled, I've been duped by alcohol. That would be me. Now keep in mind that he had no idea who he was going to be picking up at the airport that evening. And during our meals together, Rodolfo has opened up to me about his drinking, and we've had several deep, beautiful conversations about addiction. I've learned so much from Adolfo as well. How crazy is that story, guys? Okay, so I got the idea for this episode when I came across an interview with Dr. Gaber Mate online, who in my addiction, he is the present-day addiction guru. I was personally blown away by his book in the realm of hungry ghosts. I highly recommend reading it. If you'd like to see the video, find the link in the episode 255 show notes. Oh yeah, and by the way, Carrie Mack is the gal I interviewed today. She's the rock star who has done the show notes for nearly 100 consecutive episodes. Nice job, and thank you so much, Carrie Mack. In the video, Dr. Gaber Mate says, If you want to look at what causes the addiction, you have to look at the benefit of addiction. As in, what did it do for you? People typically say, It gave me pain relief, escape from stress. It gave me a sense of connection, a sense of belonging. The addiction met some essential human need that otherwise wasn't met in that person's life. So all of these states of lacking connection or being isolated or having pain or having too much stress in your life, these are states of emotional pain. And when you look at populations of addicts, what you find is that the more adversity in childhood, exponentially, the greater the risk of addiction. Which doesn't necessarily mean that every person traumatized will become an addict, but it does mean that every addict was traumatized. In Dr. Gaber Mate's opinion, any addiction is manifested in any behavior that a person finds temporary pleasure or relief in, but suffers negative consequences as a result and does not give up or cannot give up despite those negative consequences. He mentions this can be alcohol, tobacco, drugs, substances of all kinds. It can also be behaviors such as sex, gambling, shopping, work, or exercise. In the video, Dr. Gaber Mate mentions he had an addiction to work and shopping. He talks about his addiction to classical music and how one day he spent $8,000 on classical music and how he always had to get the next CD and the next one. He once left a patient in labor and went downtown to pick up a disc. He says, the greatest myth on addiction is that number one, it's genetic. Now it does run in families, but why does it run in families? If I'm an alcoholic and I yell and scream at my kids and then they grow up to soothe themselves with alcohol, did I pass that on to them genetically? Or is that a behavior they developed because I recreated the same conditions that I grew up in? There might be genetic predispositions, and I talk about this in my book with enhanced dopamine receptors, but a predisposition is not the same as a predetermination. Scientists have yet to find the gene for addiction, and I personally don't think they ever will. Dr. Gaber Mate then states, The other myth around addiction is that it's a choice people make, and the whole legal system is based around the idea that people are choosing to be addicts and let's punish them for it to deter others. Addiction is not a choice anyone makes. It's a response to an emotional pain. Another myth is that addiction is restricted to the substance abuse user or to a few losers in our society. However, addiction is rife and rampant throughout our culture. You would think that with the utter failure of most treatment modalities when it comes to addiction, we would wake up and ask ourselves, do we really understand this condition? But that doesn't seem to happen. We're not looking at its real nature as a response to human suffering because we're not helping people work through and resolve their traumas. So we keep saying what's wrong with you instead of asking what happened to you. Again, I highly recommend reading In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts or some of Dr. Gaber Mate's other books. And as I say in my book, Alcohol is Shit, and I even say this might be one of the most important lines in the book, is that addictions are no more than signposts in life that there are emotional stressors in life, and we are turning to alcohol to soothe them. What do you think about what Dr. Gabramate says? 
that addiction isn't genetic. This would also mean that there is no such thing as an addictive personality, but referencing that someone with an addictive personality is someone who has experienced trauma or other significant life stressors. Is addiction a choice? Can we incarcerate addiction out of people? It's not a choice, but due to the stigma, we are led to believe it is, and that only a few losers in a population suffer from addiction. I can easily call level 10 bullshit on this one. Addiction is rampant and is our number one pressing epidemic of all time. Everyone I tell someone in Mexico, be it a Mexican or an American or a fellow traveler from a different country, they instantly open up about number one, their own struggles with addiction, or number two, how someone in their immediate family is going through addiction. Back to how he says addiction serves a purpose. Yes, it does. And for me, it did too. You found a substance called alcohol to help cope with life stressors you were facing in life at the time. I did the same. Do not beat yourself up. It worked for a while, and now it's fine to find healthier alternatives such as community, yoga, breath work, meditation, AA, smart recovery, CrossFit, sober travel trips, alcohol-free retreats, online communities such as Cafe RE, and nowadays there is so much more. And before we hear from Carrie Mack, let's hear from Skillshare. Make 2020 a year where you explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity with Skillshare's online classes. What you find just might surprise and inspire you. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. Skillshare offers classes designed for real life, so you can move your creative journey forward without putting life on hold. You can learn and grow with short classes that fit your busy routine. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. I've been working hard on growing the Recovery Elevator Instagram channel, and I recently took a course on Skillshare called Instagram Worthy Photography, Shoot, Edit, and Share with Brandon Wolfel, and it was awesome. When you're being creative, you're not thinking about alcohol. What I like about Skillshare is it's also a community of like-minded individuals who want more creativity in their life. And Skillshare is a proud sponsor of Recovery Elevator. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com forward slash elevator and get two free months of premium membership. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com forward slash elevator. That's Skillshare.com forward slash elevator. Carrie Mack, how are you? Hey, Paul, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, Carrie, it's great to finally get you on the podcast. And and listeners, we have a special interviewee today who has been ducking and diving and dodging and avoiding this interview request for quite some time. Now, Carrie, you've probably heard me mention in a couple episodes, you can refer to the show notes to find a link, more information. Well, Carrie is the one who creates the show notes. She she joined Recovery Elevator at, at a volunteer role almost a year ago. Um, since then, we've brought her on as a more formal role. She does communications within Cafe RE, within the groups, helps out with the webinar schedules, a huge help. And I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. But when I told you about the show notes, I said, hey, this is part of it. You have to do an interview with Recovery Elevator. So I remember seeing you in Nashville. This is February. I'm like, hey, when are we doing it? You're like, yeah, I'll get right back to you. And then I saw you in Bozeman. I said, hey, we can do it in person. You're like, oh, let me get back to you. And then I finally sent the link. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to get back to me. We're doing it right now. And then yesterday, you're like, I don't feel like it's a good time to do this. Here we are. Carrie, it's great to have you. How are you feeling right now about this interview? Well, Paul, to be honest, I'm a little nervous. I, and I know that that's kind of the response that you get from most interviewees because I listen to them all over and over as I do the show notes. So, yeah, let's just, I'm, I'm, but I'm ready to do it. Today's a good day. Yeah. And real quick before we get into you, when was your last drink? And you know the questions. I mean, look who I'm talking to right now <laughs> is uh, you mentioned you don't feel like you're ready to do this interview. Talk to, talk to us about that for a second. Well, I just listened to so many of the interviews, all of the interviews, obviously, and I gain so much from them. And it's just a, it's something that I'm personally working on that I just don't feel like that I have something to give. Like, who wants to hear my story? I don't, I don't have those nuggets, those like, you know, that people are going to go like, oh, that was awesome. 
Well, Carrie, we're actually going to prove you wrong. <laughs> and I can tell you, after every conversation I've had with you in person at our live oh. events, I learned something from you. And if not, you bring a smile to the group, right? <laughs> you just bring great energy. So, of course, you can. And, and I'm excited to do this interview. And you know what? I'm going to answer the first drink. When was your last drink, Carrie? Well, we are 364 days away. In fact, tomorrow is your one year away from alcohol. And the guy we interviewed last week named Justin, it was on his one year anniversary. I feel like we're lucking out. We're getting two in a, two in a row here. You're basically a year away from alcohol. So I just want to yeah. say that's when your last drink was, November 6, 2018. And how does it feel? A nice job. It feels really good. And um, that's what made me not duck and and swerve to get out of this one today because like how can I not um, that last message that you sent me about the interview like there wasn't even a question he was like okay when are we doing it <laughs> like, you're, you're right. not even asking it's like well, they, okay I guess there's no out anymore so I feel really good 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 well give listeners a little background about yourself Carrie where you're from what you do for a living your age you have a family and what do you like to do for fun well I am I just turned 50 this July I live in Redding, California, which is Northern California. Uh, I have two beautiful daughters, 29 and 30 years old, that both have families. So I'm also a grandmother to three soon-to-be-adopted grandchildren and then my little granddaughter. Married, just celebrated my our five-year anniversary on the first of this month. Congratulations. Thank you. And I, um, for what I do for work, well, I've just kind of fell into a new, I, I guess, career. I was up at 5.30 baking cookies today. I previously was a teacher. That will come later in the interview. So right now, I'm a, I guess I'm a baker, and I do stuff for you and the wonderful community in RE. And for fun, well... Like you just heard, we have dogs. We have three rescue dogs. We love to take them on hikes, love being outdoors. Kayak was on my list for my 50th birthday, so I got a kayak, so I go out kayaking on the lake. I like to read, travel. There we go. Is there anything you would like to explore without alcohol, as in like a new hobby or a new activity? You know, I, I am, I'm going back and trying out all the things that I've tried before, but... I might enjoy them now. Like I, I have I like a marathon in my not to run. <laughs> I'm not a runner, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just like re-exploring things that I that I've tried in the past. But alcohol, you know, kind of got in the way, and um, so I'm open to like so so much more. I love it. All right, Carrie, are you ready? Ready? I'm good. Yeah, let's do it. And before we begin, <laughs> of course, we're all nervous. I even get nervous for some of these interviews, but it's your story. And you know it best, and again, you are supported, and it's such a loving audience. So let's do this. Let's get into your story, Carrie. Give listeners some background with your drinking. When did you start? How much did you drink? When did you first realize that alcohol wasn't serving a good purpose? Did you ever put any rules into place? Let's just have a conversation about it. I mean, I probably dabbled with like a little sneak here, a little sneak there of a beer every once in a while. Uh, my parents didn't drink, so there was never like alcohol in the house. But I didn't really start drinking until high school. One of my older brothers got me drunk for the first time, and I it was a blackout from the start. So I drank alcoholically from the beginning, and I never denied that. I've always known that. Lots of trouble through high school. There was a move during high school also, and so I was very angry about having to move away from my home that I had grown up in. And so I turned, I don't want to say I turned to alcohol, but it was very easy for me like to just to get into that lifestyle. So I was like known as the partier, and I was like, the, the oh wait, let's wait till Carrie gets here to this party and you know, see what kind of shit she gets into. Drank, got married very young, got married at 19, had our babies, both me and the ex-husband had problems with drinking. I drank during all that time, married 17 years, but not like I did until my later years after my divorce. Carrie, when did you first realize that you think, at what age would you say that you had at the conscious level, wait a second, alcohol might be a problem? I, I knew like in high school. Okay, from the start. All right. I, did, I didn't care though. Okay. It, I mean, I, I knew that I didn't drink like my friends. So if, if you knew from the start, but you didn't care, what was it doing for you? 
It was a social thing. It was, I don't want to say, I, I, you know, I was popular at the parties because I was fun. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 I, it got me out of my shell. Sure. Social lubricant help you fit in. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, you know, teamed with just moving, moving at, at when I'm starting ninth grade. So it was just like, yeah. you know, it, was, it okay. was really easy. Gotcha. Well, keep going. So, yeah. So the divorce and it wasn't. And so by that time, my daughters are old enough that they are living here. One moved out. One's going back and forth between me and the father. Um, so I'm basically this home alone. And that's really when my drinking kind of ramped up. It got bad real quick. It got bad real quick. I didn't. I was never one to go out to the bar scene. I was. I isolated from the get go once it got going. And how do you at this moment? So let's see. I was thirty five. Mm-hmm. Thirty five, probably. I had to, you know, go out and get a job for the first time because we had a, a home construction business. Me and the ex and. He took that with him. And so then 17 years later, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to find a job. And it was just a big, a big life change for me. Home alone, drinking by myself, blacking out. And this is at 35. And if my math is correct, you quit drinking probably at 49. Yeah. Gotcha. So from age 35, how long did it take before you recognized that you probably need to quit drinking? Well, there was definitely, I would say, 45 I remember stepping into the rooms of AA two times, not two times, two different periods in my life, like from 45 on. And I just wasn't ready, I guess, because I had to go back out and make a whole bunch of more wreckage. Okay. Talk to us about the the statement where I just wasn't ready because I also went to AA several times and then I went back out and drank for a while and I wasn't ready. But what did that feel like for you? Um, looking back, what did that mean when you said you weren't ready? Well, the, you know, the first time I went, the first time I stepped into the room and that was just what I knew, like, okay, well, I, I, I have a drinking problem. I just lost a job. I need to do something about this. This is not, alcohol is not serving me. AA is all I knew at that point. I mean, that's just, that's what alcoholics do. They go mm-hmm. to AA. And so, but I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps and I, I don't know how, like, I can't tell you how many meetings I went to, but I was pro I was like a dry drunk for probably about a year ish. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know like when I went into the rooms and I don't know like when I started drinking again, but there was a period of time that I didn't drink, but I wasn't doing anything to work on that. I I mean, I was doing nothing. I just wasn't drinking. And then of course, when I started again, I was right back where I was. Yeah. Listeners and Carrie dropped a concept. I want to cover with you guys real quick. And she said the word dry drunk. And I went through that in ages uh, probably 30 to 32, 2010 to, 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 to 2012. I made the decision on January 1st, 2010 to quit drinking. Uh, I was only supposed to go a month. I made it two and a half years. But all I was doing was not doing something that wasn't drinking. And so I was living life as looking at a life without alcohol as a sacrifice and not an opportunity. And so that's the main characteristic of a dry drunk. They've, sobriety is like, oh, I can't do X, Y, and Z. I have to avoid this place, that place. I can't do this, that, and that. And that's a dry drunk. That's not somebody who views this pathway without alcohol as a tremendous opportunity is what it really is. And also contemporaneous with that as a dry drunk is somebody who's staying sober off willpower alone. And that's just like every time you confront uh, alcohol or decision drink, you, you really have to deep dive inside to get the courage to take that stance and say, look, I'm not going to drink. And eventually this willpower muscle, it's exhaustible. It's finite. It's going to say, look, I'm done. I crack. I'm going to drink. And it sounds like that's what happened to you. Um, after some, some a good amount of time away from alcohol from you know, ages 45, almost a year that happened to you. And that happened to me as well. And the mind plays all kinds of tricks. Well, I've gone this long without alcohol. It can't be the problem. It's not an issue. And I wasn't ready at the same time too. I wasn't ready to fully embrace the lifestyle of, 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 it sounds strange. I wasn't able to step into the happiness of that a life without alcohol can provide. And so maybe talk to us about a little bit after that, that time frame away from alcohol. Do you remember what it was? Was there a moment that made you go back to drink again? Yeah, I was in, I was in Texas in a relationship. I still had my home here where I'm at, but I was in Texas in a relationship that just kind of went south. And 
that's just like I don't know. That's just kind of where I turn because like, oh, I think I'll just go buy a bottle of vodka. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your willpower you know, it, muscle wasn't it, quite it, flexed enough to get through that one. And honestly, Paul, I don't. I during that that year, and I and I don't know if it was a year. I'm kind of throwing that out there as a guess. I wasn't ready, so I wasn't like I am sober on this date. And then and then I know when I went back out. It, there was nothing like that. It was just like, that's just like kind of like, oh, I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. Now I'm drinking. It was nothing. For, I mean, I, I I didn't think twice about it. It was just like, I'm just going to go grab something to drink because, because <laughs> that's been one of my biggest, biggest struggles now, this time, this, when, when I know that I want to be sober, when I know that I want to be ditch the booze, get away because alcohol is shit, this go around one of the hardest things for me has been to find a reason why I drink. Like I don't have trauma. I had a wonderful life growing up as a child and I don't, you know, and I, and people have these reasons it's, you know, it's, they have this trauma or they have this or they have that. And I have searched and I have, and it's been really hard for me just to like, I don't have a reason. I just am one of those people that, started drinking and I have that addiction. Carrie, let me ask you another question again. How come you didn't feel ready to do this interview? Because I feel like everybody else that interviews has so many good nuggets and I don't think I do. Let's go a little deeper on that one. It's just kind of been, it's been my pattern growing up that I just don't feel like I have anything to give to people. I don't think that what I say matters. Carrie, we, we might've just answered a, a pretty big question in your journey right there. And the further I go with this, the better I get at it. That could be a substantial why, maybe some feelings of self-worth that you, you don't have anything to contribute, that you're not, you're not worth it. Is, is any of this resonating with you? It, well, it definitely does. My first marriage, 17 years, was one full of abuse, physical, mental, emotional. I mean, the whole gamut. I'm not going to get into that. I feel like I'm like, like I, I always felt like, no, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, it's, I'm not letting that get to me, but I have I had even my daughters like, no, mom, that has had an effect on who you are and how you think of yourself and your worth and your value and you are worthy. And that has been a big, a big thing in my life. Yeah. And Carrie, I love how at 16 minutes, 17 minutes, <laughs> this interview is, is gone in a, in, in a good direction here. And, and listeners, this is what's this is the trajectory of what it looks like. You quit drinking, you're going to get stable foundation. Um, you're going to get to a point where you can cruise through life without alcohol, and, and it's you're doing good. And then you're going to butt up against the why. Your external environment where you, is eventually going to say, "All right, Carrie. All right, Paul. You're doing good. Now it's time to start working on the why." And Carrie, you can hear me on my own podcast at about a year away from alcohol or two years. I didn't know my why. I was unaware of it at that moment. My why started to butt up against me and to show up around year three. And that was fear of loneliness and connection. I mean, a big time why. I had a fear of connection, um, an extremely lonely childhood, growing up one of just a couple non-Mormons in a, in a Mormon-saturated school. And I was afraid to connect. I was afraid to stand out. And guess what made me connect, allowed me to stand out internally, was alcohol. And so I think we... We might have peeled a layer back on your why right there is feelings of unworthiness that you don't have much to contribute. And we're going to start challenging that, Carrie. I'm excited to have a front row seat. Maybe literally we're both going to go to Thailand and Cambodia with each other. And I want to sit next to you in a front row seat of the bus <laughs> and chat about this stuff. And it's going to start showing up. And I, like, I, like I mentioned, I'm excited to have a front row seat for you with this. But let's back it up a little bit more. You mentioned you were a teacher. Talk to us about that. And was there a rock bottom moment that kind of pushed you over the edge to quit drinking? So, yes. So I got my teaching credential later in life. It was after my divorce. I had started going to school for it while married. And then it was a few years after my divorce that one of my daughters like, Mom, why don't you go back and finish what you started? And I was like, oh, yeah, why don't I? My a dream job, dream career for me. I loved it. It just didn't last very long. I was fired from two teaching jobs for drinking. Really hard to talk about. <laughs> there was a like a, a, a two-year space. So the last was November 6, 2018. Um, so that would be, I would, I would consider that one of my rock bottoms. About two years, to, almost to the exact date, was the first time. So something about November, I don't know. <laughs> 
but I, what I, what it came down to, um, the, the, this last time, you know, they removed me from the classroom. It was before school even started. I mean, I mean, how cunning and baffling is this disease that I'm stopping at a store at six 30 in the morning on my way to my classroom to buy alcohol. You know, it was coming off of drinking the night before. If I, if I hadn't been drinking the night before, if I had been completely sober that morning, I wouldn't have stopped, but that's neither here nor there. I did stop. And it's kind of the same story with both, both of those jobs that I lost. Fortunately, I, there was no like legal issues with either one of them, but I did surrender my teaching credential. Gotcha. So you show up to your job intoxicated, you, you lose your job. And this is on November 6, 2018. So this event, this is a big event. This one is 365 days ago. This is a year ago. And you recognized it for what it was. This was a big wake up call. And, and, and in this, in this arena, we call these rock bottoms. But for me, what's switch it, this is an invitation, right? This says, Hey, Carrie, this is your external environment matching your internal declaration, your internal intention of that magnitude of wanting to quit drinking. You had wanted to quit drinking for so long to make this big trajectory, this change in your life, and your external environment said, okay, let's make this happen. You lost your job. That's how I see things in this realm. What's your take on that? Yeah, what's your take on that? You know, I, I agree. I mean, it, it really took a real hard rock bottom for me, but I do, but I look back now and I'm grateful for it. You know, my, my thoughts and my feelings about the whole situation, I mean, obviously have changed from, from ground zero from day one because it was really, really hard the first few months and not even talking about the, the not drinking part, just the living part, having gone through it just two years before still, in the, the legal, I mean, there was no law enforcement and stuff involved in either one, but I still, I had an attorney and I was still trying to fight to keep my credential after the first go around. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I did it again, <laughs> but I look back now and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what I went through because it's brought me to this point today. Yeah, Carrie, you did it again. That's fine. You had an opportunity, one wake up call and you didn't listen. And I didn't listen to many of them. And you got another one and you did listen. And you're looking back at it with gratitude and gratefulness. And it's what's going to propel you forward on a life without alcohol that's going to allow you to explore those feelings of unworthiness, the feelings that you said earlier that you feel like you're walking in the footsteps of giants. They've had so many big value bombs, these sobriety nuggets dropped on the podcast and you're fearful of, are you going to um, have the same capacity to do so? And right now I've already heard so many incredible things you've mentioned, Carrie. So we can just put that one, at least in this episode, <laughs> to rest. And I also find a little irony of where it happened, a situation in a teaching environment. Of, of, of where you're, you're providing value and almost you're dropping those nuggets to the kids. It's almost like the universe is wanting you to again to butt up with this at both of those moments. So just think about that for a, for a little bit. <laughs> and talk to us how you did it, right? Because I, I imagine there was the faculty and staff also knew what happened. Um, that's got to be a tough rock bottom to come back from, but you did it. You're almost a year away from alcohol, one, one year tomorrow. How'd you do it in the first week, month, couple months? What was it like? Well, it was super hard. And yeah, I didn't know. Honestly, I didn't know what the, the faculty, the, the parents, I didn't know who, who knew what or if they knew anything. I mean, I knew there was some. There was a, there was a few that I knew knew. <laughs> but that's, that was the, what was so hard in the beginning. I, was, I, I couldn't leave my house. I was afraid I was going to run into one of my parents. I mean, I was, not, I was grocery shopping at 2 a.m. in the morning thinking, oh, I'm not going to run into anybody right now. I had so much anxiety and I, I didn't know how I was going to come out of it after the second time. I got, I went into therapy for the first time. I put myself into 90 days of IOP. I mean, I, I didn't know what to do in order to just keep on surviving, I guess. And Carrie, was, as, as you know, you've heard this because I've said it a lot lately 
is you don't know how you're going to do this, right? And we've talked about how the why is more important than the how. And listeners, there Carrie goes again, just dropping value bombs. Is she didn't know how she was going to do this, but once the intention has been set, like no matter what, we're not drinking. The- yeah, once the why has been set, which is this is why we're not drinking. We just went through this this episode of the school. The how always solves itself, and you just threw yourself into IOP, into therapy, and and what else? And I did, and I went back to AA. I had I I reconnected with my sponsor that I had two years prior after the first incident, and I was I, I mean more than ninety meetings in ninety days. My my whole entire focus at that point was to get well well enough just to function as far as alcohol there was no at that point there was no cravings i think it was i think because i was so focused on just being able to leave the house without fear of the world <laughs> and what they thought and i i remember when i went one of my meetings with my my therapist and i was telling her that it's like i can't even go grocery shopping and she was like you need to and she gave me something to put on my refrigerator it was like Oh my gosh, I, it's not on my refrigerator. But it was like it's none of their business. If you if you run into somebody and they if they have the guts to say something to you, just tell them you're not. You know, I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. And I remember the first time out running into one of the parents from my classroom, and I was like, oh my oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? And it was I had worked myself up and had worried about it so much, and all she had to say was. Luke really misses you. I hope you're doing well. And, you know, I, well, I don't know what the parents were told, but just that interaction with, I'm, I got in my car and I it was like, I just started crying. It's like, oh my God, I just got through that very first. That was like, I'm, I'm okay now. And I isn't can, that amazing? Can, Your mind probably played that scenario out a hundred times in the last one, or maybe you didn't even think about a nice outcome. And there was, hey, Luke misses you at school. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. After a time, and I don't even know, I know when I was, it was actually in Nashville um, when I hit my 100 days and I was posting something on social media. I'd been posting 30 fun facts, so a, a fun fact for 30 days. And on my 100th day, I remember being in Nashville and I posted about it. And it was at that point, there was some some parents and some teachers from the, the, the last school had sent me like friend requests on Facebook. And I was like, I didn't accept them, didn't deny <laughs> them. I just kind of let them like hanging out there, but my page is public. So then they saw that. And I got so many nice messages, you know, from these parents that, again, I don't know what they were told. I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know what they were told. But I was just, it was, it's been, it was like nothing but su- support from them. And it was like, okay, well, now I'll accept your friend request. <laughs> yeah. How cool is that? So you're loud and proud out there on social media and you've, you've had yeah. nothing but encouragement, correct? Yeah, there's been no nothing negative. I encourage everybody to do that. <laughs> gotcha. So let's back it up a little bit. After you hit, well, actually, I wrote down a note. It said you didn't know how you were gonna make it, and I I get emails from listeners who are like seriously in the hot seat on Instagram and Facebook and and emails. They're like, hey, I'm drunk right now. I don't know how I'm gonna make this. Followed by paragraphs of their story, and I'm like, yeah, you're you're in the thick of it. And listeners, I just want to say that. Carrie also just said she didn't know how she was going to make it. And here we are. We're just going to call it a year away from alcohol. So it is possible. Nice job, Carrie. Seriously. Nice job. Can you just sit sit with that for a second and realize what you've done? I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, you should be because I'm super proud of you. And, you know, it's been, I want to say around nine months well, sir, and I think that my nine months falls right around Bozeman because Bozeman was a big life changer for me. I came home from Bozeman and I had been doing well prior to that, but but still not really knowing like like what I'm what am I supposed to do now that I'm I don't have this I don't have a career. I just didn't I didn't know, and I've always 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 been so worried about what people think. For one, they think that I don't have anything of value to say. <laughs> but even even like growing up, like worried about, you know, what I have a, my sister is 17 years older than me. And what is my sister going to if, if she sees that I'm doing this or or I don't know. I've just always been so worried about what people think. But I left Bozeman leaving that behind. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I need to do for me, for my recovery journey, however that's going to look. And if somebody doesn't like what I'm doing, then 
too bad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and there's another why right there, Carrie. You said your whole life you've been living life wondering what other people think about you. You had two opportunities that happened to you. You lost your job twice in a teaching environment. One of them in the morning where you were escorted, I think, away from the school grounds. And your mind had to be thinking, wow, what does every parent, student, teacher, faculty think about me right now? This is what you're supposed to build the circuits around, what you're supposed to push through and work through. And it sounds like in Bozeman, which is where we had a retreat, uh, you had some big breakthroughs with this. And any specific workshop or anything specific you can think of? I did. I definitely had some. And it, the whole retreat was just hands down amazing. But it was Britic's breathwork that, that did it for me. What happened there for you? After I stopped listening to everybody else <laughs> breathe and and just finally, because I thought, you know, honestly, I I have never been. I thought we're gonna what? We're gonna what? We're gonna lay there and breathe for an hour? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is this is silly. This is I don't get this. But you know, I once I just kind of like let that go, and it probably took me a good 10, 15 minutes or so. But once I just like you know, I'm okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna see what the, what what this is all about, and I just kind of tuned everybody else out and started doing my thing. And I mean, yeah, there was, there was tears. I didn't, I, I mean, I heard a lot of the stories from the other participants and I didn't have maybe quite the experiences some people did, but it was enough for me that when I left there, I came home, I was like so excited to tell my daughters and tell my husband and tell my, my friends here that, you know, like I, I just like turned over a new leaf that I'm going to explore these other things that will help me heal whatever it is that I'm needing to heal that'll help me continue this journey. And listeners, breathwork is powerful. We will be doing this at more Recovery Elevator events, retreats in the future. However, I encourage you to simply Google breathwork in your local hometown that we used. Uh, it was Clarity Breathwork as a technique. And it's where you do circular breathing. You're not hyperventilating. You're just simply putting your body in an oxygen-rich environment. You repeat, repeat this process over an hour, an hour and 20 minutes, and it flies by as well. Sometimes it finishes and you're like, was that eight minutes? Was that 20 minutes? Um, and your body uh, is put in a state where the healing happens on its own. The conscious mind connects with the unconscious mind. People are visited by past relatives in that session. It's a, it was a, it's a powerful modality that I, that I encourage listeners to, to check out. And Carrie, let's chat about, has, is there anything been in this last year, a moment where you're like, you know what, I think I'm going to go back and drink. And how'd you get past that? You know, this past year has been, I've had some difficult things with family, my mom passing, not this year, but dealing with her estate. And um, there's definitely been some times where it's like, ugh, I just like to numb out. But I, I know nothing good is going to come out if I drink. There's, there's nothing. And I don't drink. There's no, there's no happy part of my drinking. I don't ever feel good when I would drink. Recently, not recently, but my most recent drinking, um, there was no good feeling during that time. It was like, start drinking, wake up the next day, you know, and then like, wh what kind of wreckage? What did I do? What did I say? <laughs> yeah, and I cover that in episode 229 where it's alcohol has been ruined for me. And that's when your internal environment has received the intention that I don't want to drink anymore, right? And it's just, it's no longer enjoyable. It's, it's a rough spot because it's a one-way street. You can't go back. Uh, and enjoy alcohol the way you used to it's it's just it's always changed and that feeling once it's ruined for you this is a good thing because eventually you'll get to where carrie's at right now and be a year away from alcohol and, and carrie before we hit the rapid fire round let me just ask you th this question what's what's something you've learned about yourself along the way i've learned that i that i'm stronger than i ever thought i was and it feels really good to not worry about what everybody thinks and you know it's just been it's just been recently that that I'm that I'm letting myself do all these things I mean even my new job going in I was like oh my gosh I'm gonna go in here and like ask for a job at this place where there's high school kids I mean that was an ego thing and I don't know I just just, just believing in myself and Gary you said it's it's nice to not care so much what other people think about us now, listeners, all these concepts, and that's a big one that I just covered right there, 
all these concepts are not check boxes. It's not yes or no, or as in now, I don't care what other people think about me. These are all deepen with or expand with. So you're at one year away from alcohol carry and the feelings of not giving a fudge what other people think about you. Those are going to continue to dissolve the further you get away from alcohol. So just imagine what it's going to be like six months away from now, two years away from alcohol. And how will you envision your life changing if you truly didn't give a shit what others thought about you? What would that be like? Just imagine that for a second and, and tell us about it. Gosh, that's even, I mean, even hard to imagine. I want to live my life not even thinking about I'm not going to drink today. I, I've, I've kind of had a mindset change where I don't think of it as I haven't drank in this many days. I think of it more of I've, I'm in, I like to think of it more of like I'm in recovery. I've been in recovery for 364 days. I don't want to give alcohol that much power. Alcohol is shit and it's done a lot of damage in my life. And I know that, but there's so much more than, than the alcohol. There's so much, I'm healing from so much more. I'm growing in so many other areas that it's not just stepping away from the bottle for me. What, somebody in one of the groups, I want to say it was, and I don't know who it was, but I want to say it was in the go group. Um, they had uh, on roll call, I believe it. They were like, they, I've quit. The, he said, I quit counting days. I'm just living. Yes. Like, and it's like, I love that because I don't want it. I feel personally for me, I mean, yes, I'm excited about tomorrow being my year. I mean, of course I'm excited about that. But but personally for me, I too feel I've quit counting days and I'm just living each day and doing what I can do during that day. And it's a lot of new things. Carrie, that was huge right there. This isn't a no to alcohol, but a yes to a better life. And you know you've made a significant change. You're making headway when you just stop counting. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Nice job, Carrie. You earned this. You did it. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. And we're close. We're almost done, Carrie. How are you doing right now? You doing okay? I'm doing okay. Okay. You're doing great. And we have reached the rapid fire round. You got 30 seconds for these questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Light bulb moment, Carrie. What we got? Light bulb moment that I don't have to live up to what I think are other people's expectations. What is a memorable moment a sober life has given you? Oh, there's been so many of them. All these RE retreats. That is something I definitely never would have even imagined taking off and going to meet strangers. Yeah, they're so much fun. <laughs> and what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? I'm kind of boring. I really don't do the mocktail thing. I, I'm a water drinker. <laughs> but if I'm going to like go out there on a, like, and binge, it's going to be ginger beer. Oh, there we go. And then you turn around and look at the label and go, holy crap, there's a lot of sugar in here. Exactly. So it's like few and far between. <laughs> yeah, ginger beer is so good though. And what are some of your favorite resources? Definitely Cafe RE. That's been a lifesaver for me. These sober meetups, retreats, podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Obviously, I listen to Recovery Elevator, Recovery Happy Hour, I'm always listening to podcasts. In the beginning, I was reading a lot of books. Um, I kind of haven't been picking up the memoirs and stuff recently, but that was always something big in the beginning of my recovery. Gotcha. And what's on your bucket list? Travel. Travel and more travel. <laughs> Love it. I am super excited about Asia, um, and I want to do a marathon. I don't, like I said, I'm not going to run, but somebody just told me the other day that you can walk them. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> of course you can walk them. Yeah, but I have so a feeling I'm, you're going to do a little more than walk. You might be jogging or running this thing. A, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, why not? All right, what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners? I would have to say that to recover, get sober, whatever you want to call it, your way, and your way may not be what everybody else that you know, I mean, it's going to be different and not worry about what other people think. And before we depart, Carrie, and you've got a great line in the book, give listeners mm -hmm. your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. Yeah. Well, I got a new line for you. You might need to ditch the booze. If you wake up one morning with a broken ankle and you have no idea how you did it. 
Yeah, that's a good one. We've had some good ones lately with this question, guys. <laughs> wow. I love it. And Carrie, you did such a great job. You are worth it. I know it. The listeners know it. We just need to get you on board with that. And we're going to make some major headway with that, that goal, that dream in Asia. You ready for it? I am so ready, Paul. All right. Thanks for joining us, Carrie. It's going to be a lot of fun in the future. Thank you. I've heard so many stories of how we can justify our drinking. Many of them are borderline humorous. Many of them are very humorous. One of my Spanish teachers asked me what I do for work. I told her about Recovery Elevator and she said, Ah, yes, alcoholism is rampant here in Mexico, especially on the coast. She says there is a place called Itzmo. It's one of the eight regions of Oaxaca, which is on the coast. And alcoholism is so prevalent there because, wait for it, it's hot. As in, they need a good way to cool down. As in, on a really hot day, the only thing that's going to work to cool them down is a cold cerveza. Hmm. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's roll with it. So I've heard the same about how people drink too much in Wisconsin because it's too cold. Or in Iowa because there it's both too hot, cold, and boring. Sorry if you're from Iowa, by the way. So be careful when the mind tries to justify your drinking. There is no way to justify the drinking. It's simply your addiction, that voice, which is often concealed, hiding behind curtains. It wants to stay in the background. It wants to convince you that you're the one doing the talking. But listen up. Your ego is doing the talking. Quiet the mind. Focus on the breath. And then see if that voice shows up. And 10 out of 10 times when you're centered, that voice is calm. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. And like I said before, 2020, this is going to be a fantastic year. Whether you're still moving forward alcohol-free this year or not, get back on it. It doesn't matter. I personally myself had hundreds, if not 200s, if not 300 day ones, and look where I'm at now. I'm working remotely in Oaxaca, Mexico, five years departed from alcohol, and this job is fucking awesome. Anything is possible in a life without alcohol. I want for you to have what I have right now, which is deepening with inner peace and a life without the shit. Let me say it one more time. I love you guys.